We're over in Second Kings. I had First Kings originally, and I had to make that change over to Second. I don't know why I keep throwing that in there once in a while. So if you have an outline that says Second uh, First Kings, it is Second Kings. Second Kings chapter fifteen. We are just about finishing up the Kings of the North. We'll get down to the all but the last one. I put it in the beginning of your outline there. There are nine dynasties of the northern tribe of Israel. Total of 19 kings. Nine dynasties, 19 kings. Down in the south, there is one dynasty and 19 kings. <laughs> they go on uh, longer than this, the uh, northern tribes do, but uh, still have the same number of kings of 19. Now, some of the guys we see here tonight are going to be kind of short-lived. But in verse 8, And in the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reigned over Israel and Samaria six months. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his fathers had done. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who made Israel sin. Then Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and struck and killed him in front of the people, and he reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Zechariah, indeed, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. This was the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Jehu, saying, Your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. And so it was. So God gave him a promise that he would have a son for four generations. And if you look at the dynasties, he has the most. That is the longest of any dynasty. was a total of five kings in the dynasty, fourth generation after him. But even though none of the kings really seem to do real well in following after God, Jeroboam II might have done a little better than others. But even though they, they did not follow after God, he still held to his promise to Jehu. Now his name here, Zechariah, means remembered by the Lord. Interesting how some of these non-God-fearing kings keep putting God-fearing names upon them. Now he either reigned... For six months, as it says there in the Bible, or he reigned for 12 years and six months. The reason for the difference is there's been some, some uh, writings that would, might indicate that what he did was he reigned six months into the, what was it, the 38th year of uh, Azariah. But there may have been 12 years before that. Not quite sure. Just that, you know, there's some folks who figure out the timeline of all the different kings. It may have been a little bit longer that he was there. I didn't bother trying to mess with all that because you really have to, it, it just gets more confusing. You miss, you miss all <clears throat> what was going on with this. But it's possible that he reigned for 12 years and then six months into Azariah's 38th year. But um, that's not too much of a bearing on what we're getting to here. He was killed by a friend of his. Shalom was uh, one of the captains in the army from best we can tell, but he was actually one of his friends who uh, rose up and killed him. And not really a whole lot is given about why he rose up and killed him. But Zechariah was the last of the sons of Jehu to sit on the throne. In Second Kings, back in chapter 10, verse 30, that's where that promise was made. There was no promise about how long each one would last, though. And so some of them lasted a short time, some of them lasted a little, little bit longer. But if God said that he would reign up to the fourth year, and it was a conspiracy that rose up and murdered him, is God involved in the conspiracy? Does God put it into his, uh, his heart to do so? Does God uh, not stand in the way? Of, the, of course, with the Israel mentality, 
if they didn't see that God stopped something, they saw God's hand in it. But when we think about our own future, and certainly God said, you're just going to work to the fourth generation. Something was going to come along to stop it. Otherwise, just more kings just keep on coming. And I think more of what, what we see here is that God was not in a position to stop a conspiracy from coming up against him. Now, David had a couple of conspiracies come up against him. And God helped him to thwart them and to, to turn them around. But they wanted to kill David. His son wanted to kill him. Other folks rose up and they wanted to kill him. And God was able to help navigate him around that because of the promise that, uh, that was there. Just because bad things happen in our life, just because people do bad things to us, doesn't mean that God was in it, God knew about it, or God had any, any hand in it. But sometimes we have not put ourselves in the position for which God can, can stop these things. If we have been disobedient to God, if God has said, don't go, don't do, don't, don't be this way, and we went ahead and did it, well, we have not put ourselves in a position for God to be able to, to do things. Sometimes we've had a, a wrong attitude that has gone on, and God has exhorted us in his word. God has exhorted us in our spirit, and we haven't changed it. And it's put us in a place where he can't stop some things from happening that he prefers not to happen, or certainly not to happen in that way. But here we see a, a friend of his. Now, have you ever been betrayed by a friend? Probably not to the point that this guy was. He was killed by a, a, a friend of his. That's how the uh, historians write about him, that he was a, a friend. So you got, you got this friend who he has made a captain or maybe even something higher. Uh, most seem to refer to him as a, as a captain. In the army, you, put a, you, you entrusted authority with him. He was a, a friend of yours. And then all of a sudden, somehow, he turns around. Now, that will turn around because people can put something in your heart. Or he's not following after God. Maybe he just did some evil things and this guy didn't like him. But he's not a real good guy to begin with either. So I don't know how good of a... Uh, when he took over the, the throne, we'll see here in a little while, God says he didn't do right either. He went in the wrong direction. So it's not like he was a whole lot better. And he's, uh, you know, we need to quit doing that idolatry. We need to quit doing these things. He, he wasn't uh, necessarily going that way. But here, a friend of his rose up and killed him. Now, he's going to get his just due eventually. But that's not... Uh, not really helping Zechariah out on this one. It's easy for us to, to get hurt when friends rise up and do things against us. But we have to sometimes take stock on our own. What have I done to put myself in that position? Now, not always have we done something. David did some things that put himself in a position to have Absalom rise up that he should have done differently. And he didn't, he didn't do those things. So sometimes we've had a, a mess of our own that we've made. Sometimes it's been our own decisions. Sometimes it's been our own attitudes. And if it has been, just because we get away from that doesn't mean that that's not going to follow us. Because we haven't changed the attitude on the inside of us. We haven't changed what God has told us to, to make better. But here he's killed by his friend. He loses his life. Jehu's uh, reign, his uh, dynasty is over, just as God had said it would be. God was not involved in the conspiracy. He, didn't, he doesn't put murder in people's hearts. But people have this come up in their hearts themselves. They, don't, they want something that someone else has. <clears throat> and he, he wanted the kingdom. He killed them and then took the, took the kingdom. So verse 13, Shalom, the son of Jabesh, became king in the 39th year of Uzziah, king of Judah, and he reigned a full month in Samaria. So that didn't last very long. 
For it says, For Manahem, the son of Gadai, went up from Terzah and came to Samaria and struck Shalom, the son of Jabesh, in Samaria and killed him. And he reigned in his place. Now, he's one of, his, he's one of Zechariah's generals. And so, it, that makes sense. He's one of the generals in the army. Somebody rose up and killed the king. What should you do as a general in the army? Well, you head on out there and you, you take care of the conspirator. And, but if, this, if Shalom was a friend of Zechariah's and Manaheim is a, one of his generals, what are the odds that the two of those guys know each other? Did some things with each other. And now all of a sudden, this conspiracy comes up. They know each other. how good of a friends they were. I don't know. Maybe they liked each other. Maybe they didn't. But if, can you imagine if you kind of got along and you kind of liked each other and then this came up and now you've got to go over there and do something about it? He goes over and he kills him. And he reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Shalom and the conspiracy which he led, indeed they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. One of the things about conspiracies is they always involve other people. And, you know, people can always come up with conspiracy theories and reasons for how things are this way. And, you know, we just we become very one-sided. On the, when we're involved in a conspiracy, everyone else is wrong. When we're not involved in a conspiracy, then the people in the conspiracy are wrong. And we become very one, one-sided on these things. But when you have a kingdom that's not following after God, these are the kind of things that can, can come up. The Word of God talks about that, about confusion and every evil thing being present there. And certainly we see that here in this, this kingdom. They keep worshiping idols. They keep worshiping God in the wrong way. They keep having that false uh, religion, the golden calves, that still has stayed strong. We saw that king after king after king is mentioned. They didn't take it out. They didn't get rid of these things. There are some things that are just firmly rooted on the inside of us, and it, it, it takes some shaking to get rid of them. Then from Terza, Manahem attacked Tipsa, all who were there and its territory, because they did not surrender. Therefore he attacked it. All the women there who were with child he ripped open. In the 39th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Manahem, the son of Gadai, became king over Israel and reigned ten years in Samaria, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart all his days from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. Well, it seems that somehow, from where he was over there in Terza, he had to come over to Samaria and take care of this rebellion that was there. It would seem, since he's taking care of the rebellion, that this city, where he goes over and he kills the people and rips open the, the women with, that are pregnant, uh, it would seem that somehow they were involved in a conspiracy, and they decided to stand on the conspiracy and not surrender. Otherwise, why are they saying that they didn't surrender? So somehow they were involved in this conspiracy, so he goes up to take care of it. Now it says that Pol, king of Assyria, came against the land, and Manahem gave Pol a thousand talents of silver that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom under his control. That's a lot of money. Did I put that on your outline for you? It's uh, 30, is it 34 tons? 37. 37 tons. It was 34 metric tons. I'm not sure what the difference is between, the, between that. That's a lot of silver. I would have asked for gold. Maybe I would have not had to bring back quite as much. Imagine bringing 34, 37 tons of silver from one place to another. That would be, uh, that'd be something. But he decided instead of going to war and trying to defeat this guy, 
let's, um, let's go with this way. Now, Assyria is kind of the new kid on the block. We're, we're familiar with Syria. This is not Syria. This is Assyria. And they are the guys who are going to eventually come and take the northern tribe captive and lead them away. So we're seeing them uh, raise their ugly head back up here and begin to come down into the land. <clears throat> he decided he did not have the strength to combat him, so he decided to buy him off. It was quite a price, and he exacted the price on all the folks. It sounds like that he took the, from the rich people a little bit more. <clears throat> but it says that he rested with his fathers, so it seemed that he came to a natural death. Well, I didn't go, we didn't finish all those other scriptures. Sorry about that. Uh, Pole king of Assyria came against the land, and Manaheim gave Pole a thousand talents of silver, that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom under his control. And Manaheim ex- extracted, exacted the money from Israel, from all the very wealthy, from each man fifty shekels of silver to give to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria turned back and did not stay there in the land. He's coming back, but right now he's, he's he, uh, he went on his way. Now the rest of the acts of Manahem and all that he did are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Manahem rested with his fathers. Then Pek, Pekahiah, his son, reigned in his place. Now Tilgath Pileser III is, uh, from what we can tell from historians, that's Pole. That probably is his nickname, his first name, something like that. That's how he was known to the Israelites. That's how he's known in history. Is uh, Tilgath Pileser III. He began his reign somewhere around 745, three years before Manahem had become king over Israel. Now, they're going to continue to pay this tribute money until Hosea decided, I'm not paying it anymore. And that would pretty much signify the end of the northern tribes. He's not going to pay it. So they came on down and they uh, carried them all off into captivity. So that didn't uh, work out real well for them. Verse 23. In the fifth year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekahiah, the son of Manahem, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned two years. Not very long. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who had made Israel sin. You'd think there would be coming a, a way to just abbreviate this. And, but they write it all out each time. Then Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, an officer of his, of his, conspired against him and killed him in Samaria, in the citadel of the king's house, along with Argob and Ariah, in which, and with him were fifty men of Gilead. He killed him and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Pekahiah and all that he did. Indeed, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. So for two years, or after two years, he was assassinated in the king's house, in the citadel there, by one of his, uh, one of his chief, chief officers. Again, a chief, chief officer, this is going to be somebody that you trusted. And they rose up and they, they decided to, uh, to and you got to wonder, is they just want the throne? Or is there something that this guy is doing that they don't like? So he had the help of 50 men. Again, a conspiracy. You're not just going to pull this off by yourself. You're going to need other people to come on in and help that up, <clears throat> help that out. And so Pekka, who's the guy who kills him, he's going to take the throne. This is what happens a lot of times. It doesn't happen in our country. We don't, you know, if you rise up and you kill the president, you don't become president. That's just not the way that it works out. But here, if you kill the king, most of the time they became king. Now, you might have somebody like Manahem who, who would rise up and say, no, you're not going to do that. And he comes over and he kills you and then he takes the throne. But that's, uh, that's what they did there. 
In the 52nd year of Azariah, king of Judah, that's Uzziah, Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 20 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tilgath, Pilaser, king of Assyria, came and took Ejon, Abelbeth, Maka, Janoah, Kadesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and he carried them captives to Assyria. So even though they're still paying them tribute, they're losing all this stuff. I'm not sure why you keep paying tribute to somebody, but it only says that Hosea is the guy who stops paying the tribute and not, uh, not Pekah. So then Hosea, the son of Elah, led a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, and struck and killed him. So he reigned in his place in the 20th year of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. He will be the last king of the northern tribes. After he's, he comes up, it's, uh, it's over. Now, he stops covering all the kings of Israel at this point, and we go back over to some of the things that are going on in the land of Judah for the rest of that, that time. Uh, verse, Can you pull up verse 31 on there? I don't think I have that. Now, the rest of the acts of Pekah and all that he did, indeed, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. In the second year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, began Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, to reign. Now, Pekah was the, became king in the 52nd and last year of, Az, of Azariah, king of Judah, or Uzziah. He reigned 20 years. In the second year of his reign, Jotham became king of Judah and reigned for 16 years. Jotham was succeeded by his son, Ahaz, in the 17th year of Pekah's reign. Pekah, again, has uh, 20 years there. It is thought that Pekah set up in Gilead a rival reign to Manaheim's Sumerian-based kingdom in Nisan. So it is possible that Pekah was having a reign over, over here while uh, Manaheim had a Sumerian-based one. So there may have been two reigns going on at the same time. He became sole ro- ruler on the assassination of Manaheim's son, Pekahiah. That was somewhere around 740. And they say this explanation is consistent with some of the writings that are in the Assyrian Chronicles and, and so forth. But what we're going to see from here is that Pekah is going to align himself with Rezin, king of Aram, to attack Ahaz, the king of Judah. And we're going to find out a lot more. Even though we're, we're almost at the end in this, we're going to see some interaction that they're going to have with the, with the folks in uh, Judah. And not all of them are real, real good. But here we see that uh, king after king, they come up, they go down. They come up, they go down. You have rebellion. You have... Uh, uh, people that are betraying each other. And this is the kind of thing that, that's, that's going on. What is amazing to me, though, is that even up to the end, the last king who takes the throne, you have all these people that are murdering the previous king to take the throne, and yet the land is a mess. You've got this huge tribute you've got to pay to Assyria. Assyria is coming down. They're attacking the land. They're taking cities. They're, captured, they're taking people. And yet people still want to be in power. Would you want to be king of a land where all this is going on? I don't think I would want to do it. I mean, if you're one of the peons, if you're one of the peons in the land, at least they're not paying attention to you. You know, but if you're the king, you're the focus of the attention. When Assyria comes down, you're the guy they're looking at. So when you take that position, when you kill the people that are there and you take that position, you're saying, here I am. 
And if you're going to go to war, you're the one who makes the decision. If you lose the war, you're the one who's going to suffer. If you're going to pay the tribute, you're the one who's got to come up with the money. whole lot of pressure that's on there. You've got to wonder, why do people want it? Why, why is it that, that this is so attractive to folks? I think that sometimes about this country and, and some of the things are going on. When you look at what people have to go through to run for president, I just wonder, why would anybody want to do it? Why would anybody want to put their family through the whole thing? Especially if you are a good person. If you're a bad person, you're going to resort to bad things and you know, you'll do, uh, it just doesn't seem to be as, as bad. But the good people, they just seem to get taken through the ringer. And the, the, media doesn't, the media doesn't ever like good people. And they want to get rid of the good people. And what I, I think what we're running into is just uh, most of the good people that would be great don't want to run. Don't want to go through it. I think the world of Ben Carson, who for, for running, because to me he's probably about the best person in the entire race. He's just as upstanding as can be, and uh, he's he's putting up with it. He's he, it's it's got to be tough. I can't imagine what those folks go through. And when people start spreading lies and and which they they have done with how many different candidates that go on, they're just always lies that that are about about. The, you wonder, why does anybody even want to do it? And it seems that as the, as the nation progressed, as Israel progressed, even as our nation progressed, the people that want to take the reins are the evil people of the land. They're not the, they're not the good ones. We don't find too many people who rise up. I think President Bush was the last one I heard ever say this, that he felt God called him and uh, from a young age to be president. But most people don't don't put God at that level in their in their talk. I mean, the Clintons never did, and we don't see too many people that uh, talk about God at that type of a of a level, or see God that in, that involved in the in whatever it is that they're doing. Governors, mayors, senators. We just we're, we're not seeing too many. Now there are a few. There are some out there who will proclaim God as Lord and and be doing but they come under all kinds of pressure. And it certainly is our responsibility to be praying for them and as they as they make their stand. And you know, you have a lot of folks. I mean, um, Hillary Clinton's out there talking about the church she goes to. That lady doesn't go to church. I mean, the Word of God says, "By your fruit you will know them." And the, by the fruit of her, there is nothing Christian about that woman and the things that that she does. That's uh, you just can't do the the things that she has done in the past to other women, to other people, to the and and be born again, God-fearing, and, and so forth. But they'll hide behind it, you know, because there's a certain amount of popularity for at least acknowledging that God is there. And uh, But, you know, if you get too crazy about it, then, uh, you know, it's, I've heard the people say, it's okay for you to, to pray to God, but if God starts talking back to you, well, now you're crazy. <laughs> and that's not necessarily good. But you got to wonder how many people really want to be president. I mean, we all like the idea. I mean, a lot of people like the idea of, of being president. I'll be, you know, the most powerful person, and I can get up there and do whatever I want. But you can't. You can't get out there and do whatever you want. <laughs> you have to uh, op- operate by the the rules of the land, and there's some some things that uh, there are restrictions there. But it's a it's a mess. We are in debt, in, in and, it's, and you look at the people that are in, in power anymore, and. In, in one place, they condemn people for doing things that they go ahead and they do themselves when it's convenient. Who would want that mess? 
<laughs> Why would anybody want to want to jump in on there and to, and to do any of that? I just I mean, we're what now? Eighteen trillion dollars in debt. Is it closer to nineteen now? And you know, if we get close to that, they'll just sign another bill. Well, we just extend the debt uh, ceiling, and we'll just go up higher. And to, eventually, it does have to break. Who wants to be president when that kind of stuff is going on? Well, I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of amazing. But even back here in this in this land, you still have people. The, the, the place is a mess. The Syria is coming down. They're conquering parts of the kingdom. And they still say, I want to be king. I want to be king. And even when I become king, there's going to be all kinds of people around who want to take my throne. Who want to kill me, get me out of the way, and take my throne. And a lot of times if they're coming in, they're going to kill you. They're going to kill all your offspring. Because we can't have them being a problem. So we're going to kill all them too. And it's just, you just got to wonder, what is the draw? To this. Now, you understood when David was, was reigning, it was a lot different. But the country has changed over all these years. And certainly our country has changed over all these years, just as do most countries. They change over the number of years. Rome, as great of a kingdom as it was, they eventually got to the point where the Caesars decided they were gods. And boy, did things turn bad for the, for the people then. It was, it was not good. So what is the draw? Look, we we got another presidential thing going on. I sure hope, my hope every year is that by the time we get to Pennsylvania, we still have a choice. I'd like to have a choice. When was the last time that Pennsylvania's primary actually mattered? I, I don't remember when it was. I think most of the time we're, we're voting and there's only one person left on the ticket. Everybody else has been wiped out. <laughs> well, we just lost, uh, I guess, on the Republican side. Uh, I, I, what was it? Two people dropped out. Jeb and wasn't there somebody else? I thought it was a jab. I thought there was a, a second woman, and um, when they got Super Tuesday coming up, and they expect more to drop out after the the Super Tuesday, so you know it'd be nice to have more than one person on the ballot by the time we get it. You know, even two's better. At least you have a choice to uh, who to pick. But um, we will we will wait and see. But we have to sometimes think about that. What is the character of people who want to step in? To that type of a role. It is not a good atmosphere in Washington. And it wasn't a good atmosphere here in Samaria. It's a very harsh atmosphere. Over in Jerusalem, it's still a lot better. You're going to have a, a, still going to have a bright spot. You had Uzziah, and that was a pretty good spot. His son is going to do a, a pretty decent job. We still have Hezekiah coming. And that certainly is a, is a bright spot. Then it goes dark for a while. And then we uh, have the last reformer who will come up and Josiah will come in and <clears throat> turn the nation around. And then we go back downwards after that. <laughs> but there's still glimmers of hope down in the southern kingdom. But this is how bad it has been up here in the north. A God-fearing country. Who would want to be king over a nation with all these problems? And God could still turn it around. If these folks would have turned their their country over, if they would have turned their lives over, if they would have turned their focus over to worshiping God, God could have turned it around. <clears throat> and we'll see that in the South. When Josiah comes to the throne, as bad as everything is, he's going to turn it around only for a short period of time and then the people are going to fall back into idolatry and that will be pretty much it for them. But Assyria here is the thorn in the flesh for the North. They have been growing in power. 
they are ascending into a, a powerful state and they're going to come on down and take them over and do some things with them. This is the time frame of, of Jonah. This is the setting of Jonah. I was just listening to somebody who was uh, talking about Jonah and saying that Jonah got mad because Jonah's prophecy didn't come true that he gave. I don't know where they got that from. There's nothing in the Word of God that says that he got mad because his prophecy didn't come true. Because his prophecy was, if you don't repent, God's going to destroy you. Well, they repented. So that's, that's the prophecy that came true. He, he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he wanted Assyria to be destroyed. Because these, these folks are coming under messing with us. Even if they uh, don't just mess with the folks up in the north, they can come over here and down to the south and they can start messing with us. And they did some. He's saying, God, you're going to judge them? Great. Wipe them out. He's happy with that. That's why he got upset because God spared them. And now they're still going to continue to go on and be a problem for the, the folks down in the south of them. He didn't, he didn't like that much at all. But this is one of the guys you're going to have. Now, Hosea is also uh, one of the uh, prophets in there. And they sometimes take some of the things that are from his reading. If you go through some of his, um, his prophecies, he will refer to Israel and he will refer to Ephraim. And some people read into that saying that's where the two reigns were, one in Samaria and then um, uh, one in the, uh, the other town that I mentioned. Yeah, I forgot which one it was already. Uh, when we had the two, the two co-regents that Pekka may have been a, a co-regent while some of the others, and there was uh, two, two reigns going on at the same time. And that's why he referred to one as Ephraim and one as, as, as Israel. Well, that's possible. I don't know exactly what's, whether that would be true or not, but that's one of the things that they, they bring out. But basically, folks, this nation is a mess. It's getting worse, and the only way that they can get out of this is if they turn their lives over to the king. And they're not going to do it. They're going to keep going after the idols. They're going to keep going after these other things. And we look at our nation and we look at how many people continue to go after the wrong things. To continue to go after uh, darkness. And you wonder, how can anybody continue to pursue these things when they show that they don't work? I hear people talking about it time after time. If you go to all the big cities that have been run by one particular party that promises you the world, that promises you all the welfare things and all the different things going on, those cities are in shambles. And all they do is they keep promising the same thing. And you know, Detroit is one of the worst. Detroit, have you ever, I think I've mentioned this to you before, if you want a real interesting book to go see, if you bought it, it's about 150 bucks. So I don't recommend that you go out there and you, you buy it. But if you want to take a look at this, go up online, you can see a whole lot of the pictures, the ruins of Detroit magnificent buildings just desolate just uh, empty some of them were ransacked so this guy who went through and did all the pictures some he got some pictures done before the looters had gone through and taken so many of the things that were there but uh, theaters factories train stations just glorious structures and just sit empty because of the the things that were going on and yet you could, you could say, well, why don't you leave those practices that you've been doing that, that took your city down to, but they don't. They continue to, to do them. You can look at other cities and other places that have gone after other practices. I mean, the entire state of Texas has gone after another direction. And I think the state of Texas has a better economy than all the rest of the, uh, the country combined. Just a, a great economy going on down there. North Dakota has a, 
as a great economy going on because of some of the some of the oil that was coming through. But now that oil has gone down in price, I'm sure that's being affected up up there. But why is it we don't take a look at well, here's the practices we've been doing. Look at the results. And we don't do it. We just keep on going after the, the same kind of things. Now you have uh, some of the candidates. They're, who can promise the most? Who can promise to give away the most? Somebody's got to pay for all these things, but we don't seem to feel like that's an important thing to do. People have to come t- to a place where they acknowledge that the Word of God is, is, is right. The Word of God is the... Uh, the Bible, this is the thing that they, sh- they should use to rule their life. And until they do, they're going to continue to press into, into darkness. You've probably seen some of the things that are going on. People have, have been uh, surveyed, you know, like who's the vice president, um, who won the Revolutionary War, yeah. things yeah. like that. And you hear the responses and you <laughs> where, did, where did you find these people? They're college students. They're on college campuses. And they, they don't know who won the Revolutionary War. So they don't even know who participated in the war. Like, are, are you kidding me? <laughs> the things that the, the answers that come up, they're just it, it just amazes me. Uh, but they continue to go after the other uh, way, where there is no light, there is no truth, and there's no movement to get them on. Off into another direction. And it seems like it's going to continue on. This is what the nation of Israel is facing. There is no movement to go after the truth. There is no movement to get rid of the golden calves. There is no movement to get rid of the bales. There is no movement to revive the worship of God or to go down to Jerusalem. There is no movement to go back to the original feast days. Every single time we see a king of Israel, it says, and they followed after all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who led Israel to sin. Time and time and time. I don't know if we have any Josiahs running for president right now. But that's the kind of guy that you're going to need. He's going to be able to come on in and just turn the, the hearts of the people back to God. Otherwise, there's no way that we can we can get these things changed outside of it. The, the problems are huge. They are far more serious than what most people want to take. And we're going to solve this with people who don't even know who won the Revolutionary War. <laughs> it, does, uh, it does quite a, amaze me. In this atmosphere is where you find all the betrayal. In this atmosphere is where you find all the people who rise up to kill someone because they want what they have, even though what they have is horrible. You're king of a land that's dying, but I want it. So I'm going to kill you and take it. I'm going to betray friendships because nothing is is meaningful, nothing is sacred anymore because God has been removed from the land. So a lot of what we see in our country is exactly what we saw in the northern tribe of Israel and will eventually begin to see in the southern tribe as well. Not quite as much betrayal going on in the southern tribes as you see in the northern tribes, but um, still other problems that will, will come in. So as we get into another election season, Pray for those guys. I'll tell you what, it's, uh, it is tough to be a good person and run for president. It's just a, it's a hard thing. You look at the things that are, are done, the accusations that are made, the life scrutiny that you go under, and 
totally amazing that anybody would want to do. I would not want to do it. I wouldn't want to go through it. I don't know about any of you, but no, not not worth it to me. Well, Father, we thank you that as we look to your word and we see such a grim period of history, all they had to do was turn back to you and you would have fixed it. That's all they would have had to do, turn back to you. In the southern tribe, we're going to see that they will turn back to you and you'll fix things. You'll bring things around. Father, in our country, we pray for leaders that would be, that would rise up and proclaim the name of God. Proclaim the word of God. Proclaim the things that are necessary to turn this country around. Father, I thank you that if we do turn our, our hearts to you, if the people of this nation do come back to you as a whole, you will heal our land. You will turn things around for us. If you look at this election process that goes on, there are people out there, Father, that have a heart for you. We just ask right now that you be a shelter of protection around them from those that are evil and the things they would wish to, to sling at them. That every lie that they bring up, that they make up, would not stand. And that your light would come and tear it down. We pray for that right now in the name of Jesus. Amen.